Section two of the works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume three, Lectures, Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lecture one, Shakespeare, parts two, three, and four. Part two. It has been said that Shakespeare was hardly mentioned by his contemporaries and that he was substantially unknown this is a mistake in sixteen hundred a book was published called england's parnassus and it contained ninety extracts from shakespeare in the same year was published the garden of the muses containing several pieces from shakespeare chapman marston and ben jonson england's helicon was printed in the same year contained poems from spencer green harvey and shakespeare in sixteen hundred a play was acted at cambridge in which shakespeare was alluded to as follows why here's our fellow shakespeare who puts them all down john weaver published a book of poems in fifteen ninety five in which there was a sonnet to shakespeare in fifteen ninety eight richard bamfield wrote a poem to shakespeare francis Mures, clergyman master of arts in both universities compiler of school books was the author of the wit's treasury in this he compares the ancient and modern tragic poets and mentions marlowe peel kidd and shakespeare so he compares the writers of comedies and mentions lily lodge green and shakespeare he speaks of elegiac poets and names surrey wyatt sidney raleigh and shakespeare he compares the lyric poets and names spencer drayton shakespeare and others the same writer speaking of horace says that england has sidney shakespeare and others and that as the soul of euphorbus was thought to live in pythagoras so the sweet witty soul of ovid lives in the mellifluous and honey-tongued shakespeare he also says if the muses could speak english they would speak in shakespeare's phrase this was in fifteen ninety eight in sixteen o seven john davies alludes in a poem to shakespeare of course we are all familiar with what rare ben jonson wrote henry chettle took shakespeare to task because he wrote nothing on the death of queen elizabeth it may be wonderful that he was not known better but is it not wonderful that he gained the reputation that he did in so short a time and that twelve years after he began to write he stood at least with the first part three but there is a wonderful fact connected with the writings of shakespeare in the plays there is no direct mention of any of his contemporaries we do not know of any poet author soldier sailor statesman priest nobleman king or queen that shakespeare directly mentioned is it not marvellous that he living in an age of great deeds of adventures in far-off lands and unknown seas in the time of religious wars in the days of the armada the massacre of st bartholomew the edict of nantes the assassination of henry the third the victory at lepanto the execution of marie stuart did not mention the name of any man or woman of his time some have insisted that the paragraph ending with the lines the imperial votress passed on and made in meditation fancy free referred to queen elizabeth but it is impossible for me to believe that the daubed and wrinkled face the small black eyes the cruel nose the thin lips the bad teeth and the red wig of queen elizabeth could by any possibility have inspired these marvellous lines 
it is perfectly apparent from shakespeare's writing that he knew but little of the nobility little of kings and queens he gives to these supposed great people great thoughts and puts great words in their mouths to make them speak not as they really did but as shakespeare thought such people should this demonstrates that he did not know them personally some have insisted that shakespeare mentions queen elizabeth in the last scene of henry the eighth the answer to this is that shakespeare did not write the last scene in that play the probability is that fletcher was the author shakespeare lived during the great awakening of the world when europe emerged from the darkness of the middle ages when the discovery of america had made england that blossom of the gulf stream the centre of commerce and during a period when some of the greatest writers thinkers soldiers and discoverers were produced cervantes was born in fifteen forty seven dying on the same day that shakespeare died he was undoubtedly the greatest writer that spain has produced rubens was born in fifteen seventy seven camoins the portuguese the author of the lusiad died in fifteen ninety seven giordano bruno greatest of martyrs was born in fifteen forty eight visited london in shakespeare's time delivered lectures at oxford and called that institution the widow of learning drake circled the globe in fifteen eighty galileo was born in fifteen sixty four the same year with shakespeare michelangelo died in fifteen sixty three kepler he of the three laws born in fifteen seventy one calderon the spanish dramatist born in sixteen o one corneille the french poet in sixteen o six rembrandt greatest of painters sixteen o seven shakespeare was born in fifteen sixty four in that year john calvin died what a glorious exchange seventy-two years after the discovery of america shakespeare was born and england was filled with the voyages and discoveries written by hakluyt and the wonders that had been seen by raleigh by drake by frobisher and hawkins london had become the centre of the world and representatives from all known countries were in the new metropolis the world had been doubled the imagination had been touched and kindled by discovery in the far horizon were unknown lands strange shores beyond untraversed seas toward every part of the world were turned the prows of adventure all these things fanned the imagination into flame and this had its effect upon the literary and dramatic world and yet shakespeare the master spirit of mankind in the midst of these discoveries of these adventures mentioned no navigator no general no discoverer no philosopher galileo is reading the open volume of the sky but shakespeare did not mention him this to me is the most marvellous thing connected with this most marvellous man at that time england was prosperous was then laying the foundation of her future greatness and power when men are prosperous they are in love with life nature grows beautiful the arts begin to flourish there is work for painter and sculptor the poet is born the stage is erected and this life with which men are in love is represented in a thousand forms nature or fate or chance prepared a stage for shakespeare and shakespeare prepared a stage for nature famine and faith go together in disaster and want the gaze of man is fixed upon another world he that eats a crust has a creed 
hunger falls upon its knees and heaven looked for through tears is the mirage of misery but prosperity brings joy and wealth and leisure and the beautiful is born one of the effects of the world's awakening was shakespeare we account for this man as we do for the highest mountain the greatest river the most perfect gem we can only say he was it hath been taught us from the primal state that he which is was wished until he were part four in shakespeare's time the actor was a vagabond the dramatist a disreputable person yet the greatest dramas were then written in spite of law and social ostracism shakespeare reared the many-coloured dome that fills and glorifies the intellectual heavens now the whole civilized world believes in the theatre asks for some great dramatist is hungry for a play worthy of the century is anxious to give golden fame to anyone who can worthily put our age upon the stage and yet no great play has been written since shakespeare died shakespeare pursued the highway of the right he did not seek to put his characters in a position where it was right to do wrong he was sound and healthy to the centre it never occurred to him to write a play in which a wife's lover should be jealous of her husband there was in his blood the courage of his thought he was true to himself and enjoyed the perfect freedom of the highest art he did not write according to rules but smaller men make rules from what he wrote how fortunate that shakespeare was not educated at oxford that the winged god within him never knelt to the professor how fortunate that this giant was not captured tied and tethered by the literary lilliputians of his time he was an idealist he did not like most writers of our time take refuge in the real hiding a lack of genius behind a pretended love of truth all realities are not poetic or dramatic or even worth knowing the real sustains the same relation to the ideal that a stone does to a statue or that paint does to a painting realism degrades and impoverishes in no event can a realist be more than an imitator and copyist according to the realist philosophy the wax that receives and retains an image is an artist shakespeare did not rely on the stage carpenter or the scenic painter he put his scenery in his lines there you'll find mountains and rivers and seas valleys and cliffs violets and clouds and over all the firmament fretted with golden fire he cared little for plot little for surprise he did not rely on stage effects or red fire the play grows before your eyes and they come as the morning comes plot surprises but once there must be something in a play besides surprise plot in an author is a kind of strategy that is to say a sort of cunning and cunning does not belong in the highest natures there is in shakespeare such a wealth of thought that the plot becomes almost immaterial and such is this wealth that you can hardly know the play there is too much after you have heard it again and again it seems as pathless as an untrodden forest he belongs to all lands timon of athens is as greek as any tragedy of aeschylus julius caesar and coriolanus are perfect roman and as you read the mighty ruins rise and the eternal city once again becomes the mistress of the world no play is more egyptian than antony and cleopatra the nile runs through it the shadows of the pyramids fall upon it and from its scenes the sphinx 
gazes forever on the outstretched sands in lear is the true pagan spirit romeo and juliet is italian everything is sudden love bursts into immediate flower and every scene is the climate of the land of poetry and passion the reason of this is that shakespeare dealt with elemental things with universal man he knew that locality colors without changing and that in all surroundings the human heart is substantially the same not all the poetry written before his time would make his sum not all that has been written since added to all that was written before would equal his there was nothing within the range of human thought within the horizon of intellectual effort that he did not touch he knew the brain and heart of man the theories customs superstitions hopes fears hatreds vices and virtues of the human race he knew the thrills and ecstasies of love the savage joys of hatred and revenge he heard the hiss of envy's snakes and watched the eagles of ambition soar there was no hope that did not put its star above his head no fear he had not felt no joy that had not shed its sunshine on his face he experienced the emotions of mankind he was the intellectual spendthrift of the world he gave with the generosity the extravagance of madness read one play and you are impressed with the idea that the wealth of the brain of a god has been exhausted that there are no more comparisons no more passions to be expressed no more definitions no more philosophy beauty or sublimity to be put in words and yet the next play opens as fresh as the dewy gates of another day the outstretched wings of his imagination filled the sky he was the intellectual crown of the earth End of section two.